The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Junta. We're joined by two special guests, the two-for-one. The first guest is a longtime friend of the show, a guy that has sort of finessed his way into a future wedding party invite. Whenever I get married, four or five years down the road, we'll see. Who knows? It's Jordan Comedina. How are we doing? Great. Happy to be back. Third time on. Um, excited to be back and a part of the show. And the next guy played for Vanderbilt. First round draft selection. Are those good? Are those two things good? You tell me. <laughs> My pleasure to welcome Tyler Beatty to the Efficient Official Podcast. What's up, big dog? How are we doing? We're doing great. Yeah, pleasure to be on as well. I'm excited about it. And let's go into it. So what was the sales pitch that my guy JC over here gave you to come on the <laughs> podcast? What was the sales pitch? He, it's pretty, I'm pretty easily convinced when uh, Comanina comes up to me with about <laughs> anything. So, uh, yeah, he said, hey, lo- a longtime friend of this podcast, and uh, let's just jump on and, and talk sports, talk life. So pretty easily convinced on that. Love to see it. And the humble brag, we had Spencer Strider on last week. The pod is just buzzing. I mean, we're just buzzing here. Now we get to add first rounder onto the show. That kind of broke my heart, but we'll go into that a little bit later. Let's talk about downtime clothing. So downtime clothing, by the way, you want to talk about absolute fire, a little bit of blue collar, a little bit of I have a little bit of style. Downtown clothing, the socks might be the greatest thing I've ever worn in my life. I am contemplating once I get paid to order just 10 pairs and just c- continuously be known as the downtime clothing socks wearer. Let's go into that, Jordan. How did you start that? How did you go into it? And let's pump the tires of it a little bit because my guy, uh, Tyler Beatty here is wearing the shirt. That's right. Yeah. So we um, started this in the COVID shutdown in 2020 when, you know, we got all sent home and really had nothing to do. And it's something that I had kind of kicked around and always sort of wanted to do. And I felt like I had a lot of time on my hands, obviously, during that time and just uh, took some steps forward and moving all this to fruition. And then in the last year, sort of went into a kind of a rebrand and changed the name to downtime, which was more reflective of kind of how I, you know, manage this. And I, I do it in my free time. It's a hobby. Um, and it's kind of gone from there. So it's just sort of a, a reflection of some things that I like, like to wear designs and such. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a cool thing. 
And I would say this. I would be wearing the same shirt as Tyler Beatty, but my brother <laughs> stole my downtime clothing shirt out of my closet, just willingly stole my shirt. And I was just and so I don't have it right now, but I do have a downtime clothing shirt for the people listening. It is electric. Tyler, so be honest here. Beatty, are you a style guy or did Jordan was just like, listen, you kind of don't have the best style on the team. I'm going to throw you some of these T-shirts here, maybe up your game a little bit. How did that go? How, like, are, are you a style guy? I would say I'm. I would say I'm a style guy. I think Comadina would would agree. I I have respected Jordan's style off the field as well as on the field with his with his shoe game. Um, he's helped me design some some Kyrie's just the other day that finally came in. So I want to uh, for sure follow his lead when it comes to um, his style, especially on the field. Off the field, I don't think I can hang. I mean, the outfits that he puts <laughs> together are next level. He's usually always the best dressed on team flights. And, uh, but I, yeah, I try to hang with him as much as I can, at least on the field for sure. And, and the downtime apparel, I'm a, a big supporter of. For yeah. Sure. And so I, is everyone on the bullpen rocking that shit? Or is there a couple guys that are scared because they don't want to be known as style? Like, what's going on there? Is everyone rocking downtime clothing in that bullpen? I think, I think it's like you have to be a style guy to rock downtime. There, there's some supporters, but I think, you, if you're a downtime guy, you need to you need to have some swag. You need to have some style. And so the guys that I see wearing it on the team, um, you know, they're style guys. They've got good shoes. They've got good style. So, yeah, I think that's part of the niche of the of the group that wears it. What about my guy Bednar? Is Bednar rocking uh, downtime? The All Star Jordan? Is he is yeah. does he have a little care package? Yeah, he's got some gear. Um, he's got some gear, you know, Bednar has taken, he, he's taken a, some big strides forward in the last <laughs> year or so. Like he, he's a, he's kind of a like sneaky style guy. Now he, you know, he loves the, the puffy vest in the winter. He'll be the, like the first one to tell you, Hey, big vest guy in the winter flannels <laughs> and vests, you know? Um, but he, his shoe game has really stepped up in the last year. Big Jordan guy. Now, like he'll get some hype stuff and, um, it's solid you know he comes in looking looking sharp he's always looking good can we talk about the trend for a second that in my opinion starting to piss me off is the females wearing just like the white air force ones i i I don't know if you guys are all for that stuff but what's going on there jordan are you a pro female air force one guy or are you like let's have a little bit of like let's have a little bit of originality here because i see a million of them when i go out like just a million air force ones yeah, it's the Air Force Ones and it's those black and white panda dunks that, you know, <laughs> if you were early to the game on those, you were you were doing it. But now it's like they're everywhere. Like every girl in, you know, every major city has black and white panda dunks on, <laughs> you know. So it's like, you know, you're zigging and zagging and now we got to rezig. We got to get something else. You know, we got to try to be one step ahead of everyone. Uh, I got my wife early to the game on the Panda Dunks like a year ago, you know, and it's now it's like you can't you can't be busting those out as often. You got to have you know some other shoes in the rotation. You can't just be relying on those all the time. Yeah, I can respect that. And, and Tyler, let's go into it. Obviously, you go to Vandy. I have a bone to pick with Vandy. The Vandy Whistler has to be one of the worst human beings of all time. And you know, listen, you're not going to, I'm not going to tell the people you're nodding your head right now because you're not doing it. I was going to make a joke that you're nodding your head and agreeing with me. What's the deal with the fucking Vandy Whistler? This dude, when I'm watching a Vanderbilt, it's it's a nonstop the most annoying thing. And we're talking, we're gonna go into fans here in a little bit. But w- what's the deal there? How do you play with the dude that's just nonstop whistling for a three hour time period? What's the deal there? 
Yeah, I mean, and there's there's no doubt that we as players hear it every single second of the game. And uh, it, it's impressive more than it is annoying, you know, like the fact that he can just hold the whistle and do it nonstop for nine innings. Uh, yeah, is it a little bit over the top, a little bit too much? Yeah, uh, I think so. But, you know, as a, as a Vandy player, I have to respect it. He's a guy who also – he provides barbecue during the, ga- uh, during the, the game, so he'll do a little cookout pregame. So he brings more to the table than just the whistle. And so I respect that. He's got a group of guys with him and um, phenomenal human being. But the whistle, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it you can hear it through the TV and it's piercing your ears. So maybe it plays a factor into the uh, opposing team getting a little distracted and gives us an advantage. Who knows? Yeah. And another thing that I want to talk about. So obviously you go to Vandy after high school, but out of high school, this is where I was alluding to a little bit earlier with you broke my heart. I'm a massive Toronto Blue Jays guy. You get drafted by the Blue Jays in the first round, and you go, no, 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 I'm going to go to Vandy. I'm going to pretty much say no to the country of Canada, which is fine. I respect it now. <laughs> but what's the deal there with that? So what happened? Is, is there bad blood between you and the Blue Jays? Like, I, like what, what's going on here? Yeah, it's just such a long story. I, I mean, I'll tell you, I was really excited when the Blue Jays took me 21st because um, I didn't know what was going to happen during that draft that year. I didn't know where I was going to go. The Red Sox were a few picks after that. Um and, and was thinking I was going to go there at one point. Um, and then when I got drafted by Toronto, I was super excited. I made my way up to Toronto, uh, went and visited with the team, met the front office, met the staff, uh, met a lot of those guys, um, put on the jersey for a few days and hung out and, and did a workout up there. And throughout the course of the two months that I had to decide, there was you know a lot of what I was exposed to to the business side of the game. Um, you know, Alex Anthopoulos was there at that time, and we had a lot of talented guys taken in that 2011 draft. If you go and look back at, you know, the top 25 rounds, 30 rounds, there was a lot of guys who ended up getting to the big leagues from different organizations and things of that nature. So, you know, rightfully so, they wanted to make sure that they were able to pay a lot of those guys and make them offers that they couldn't refuse. Um, and where that kind of fell was, you know, taking taking money away from the first round pick, which you know, obviously was super fortunate that I was in a position to potentially make that much money. Um, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so it was a a humbling offer, but Vanderbilt was on the table as an opportunity and I knew I couldn't um, at least neglect that opportunity. So I had to put some more due diligence into what that would mean for me, the value of that opportunity, give it a second thought. And then sort of as that August 15th deadline came around and really trusting the people in my inner circle, it was like, it was hard for me to pass up that opportunity with everything that was on the table. And Jordan, I got to ask you this. Is that one of the most baller fucking things of all time is to pretty much look at a big league club that drafted you first round and say, fuck no, I'm going to school. Like that has to be, that's just one of the great, like like, on the most unreal things of all time. You probably felt like a big dog at the time, right? Just to kind of look, to look at the blue Jays be like, listen, man, no chance. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to live the sec lifestyle with the boys and I'm going to just turn down your offer. So I mean, yeah, Jordan, is that like, is that, is that something you would do? Is that, is that like a Jordan Comedina move? Well, I mean, that, that was a very eloquent answer. Um, you know, I, not something that I can personally relate to. You know, I wasn't drafted out of high school. You know, I, I've had some college offers lined up and, and was fortunate enough to be able to go do that and had the pro experience after college. But, you know, to have options like that is great. And, and, you know, how Tyler was able to do that and leverage that and, and, and work it out, it all worked out for him because he ended up going to Vanderbilt, had a tremendous, you know, 
opportunity there to develop himself as a player and as a person. Um, and then financially was able to, you know, maximize his, his draft status at the end of his college experience, you know? And so he's really like an example of how it's done, uh, you know, to perfection, really, you know, you have an offer, you go to college, you make the most of that and then maximize your draft status at the end of that run, you know? And so pretty awesome, you know, pretty cool um, to be able to do that. I would do the same thing, honestly. Like, and and that's like just speaking about like the experience of school and like honestly, obviously, I guess getting an education and stuff like that. Because making to the show is never a guarantee. You go, you see all these guys that get drafted first round, and then you never hear about them for like ten years until they retire or whatever like that. That way, when you go to school, you get to at least have an education to fall back on or finish your degree once you get drafted after three years and stuff like that. So it does make the most sense. And you get to experience a college lifestyle. We've had tons of guys in this podcast that got drafted out of high school. And they're like, man, I kind of wish I went to school to just at least experience what it was like to just be an actual teenager for a couple of years and not just be thrown into professional baseball and be driving and be on a bus for 20 fucking hours driving in the Florida Gulf Coast League. So there's there's two different ways to look at it. But I got to talk about this now, Tyler. Were you the big dog at Vandy? Because your first round draft pick there, are you walking on campus expecting a fucking statue to be built? Because obviously you carved it. <laughs> so you got drafted. You're a first round pick twice, which is insane to me. And they won a national championship there. Yeah, just, I mean, build a statue, Vandy. Do the right thing. <laughs> well, you know, I, I appreciate that. I definitely felt I felt a lot of confidence going into college for sure because of that. Uh, I think I got humbled rather quickly if you look at my freshman year, which which is what I needed. I needed to be slapped in the face a little bit and woken up. You know, I, I think I was a little bit too high on my horse. And so it was a good culture shock for me. Vandy, the education is very challenging as well. So I was humbled and, and there were some tough times that first, that first year. Um, but yeah, we had obviously a lot of fun in college. Nashville is a, a great city. Uh, Nash Vegas, the downtown lifestyle is phenomenal. So um, I have, I have no regrets. There was obviously some tough times there, but yeah, like, like you said, we won the national championship. It all ended up working out, um, but it wasn't as, you know, I guess, perfect of a experience as you could have drawn up. I love looking at those teams because that team, your sophomore season, had Tony Kemp, you, Dansby Swanson, and Mike Yastrzemski. Like, are you fucking kidding? Like, imagine how many, like, <laughs> and Walker Bueller and Carson Fulmer. Just one of the most ridiculous lineups and pitching staff of all time. I just, I, I, I love, I couldn't imagine, like, that midweek game where you're playing, like, a school and, like, God knows what conference, like, just a terrible conference that you guys probably just beat by 20 and just ruined a couple kids' careers. And I want to talk about Dansby Swanson because this guy was disgusting in college. Was he the guy on the team that when you noticed when he came to campus, the female attendance maybe rose a little bit at the Vandy home games? <laughs> yeah, uh, incredibly good-looking human being for sure. Um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the female attendance, yeah, boosted for sure during his three years there. Uh, we, you know, it's crazy. Like we don't have a huge stadium, so we weren't packing it up, but you, you would see the parking garage and like right down the right field line always be full, especially when he was around. And so that, that was cool, man. Yeah. There's a ton of talented dudes that, that ran through there. Obviously when I was making my decision, it was like David Price, Sonny Gray, those guys would reach out and try to convince me of how, you know, great of an opportunity it was Corbs, DJ, those, the, the guys on staff there, how great they were. Dan, when Dansby came in, he was a leader right away. His freshman year, you don't really ever see that because he was a guy who, 
you know, he was a shortstop young guy, but he, he had a, le- a lot of leadership qualities, uh, a lot of he, phenomenal hair too, great flow guy who I tried to, you know, uh, model my hair game after, which I don't think I'll <laughs> huge style guy. You saw him on the uh, red carpet in LA. At the oh Australia. yeah. Man rocket. Phenomenal. So yeah, big fan of Dansby. Yeah. And he's the type of guy where if I went to Vandy with him, obviously I wouldn't be playing. I'd probably be like a bench guy. I would just try to pick up the girls that he would reject. Like I would catch the rebound. (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would be catching the rebounds. Like, all right, Dan's, we said no to you. It's time to go to the second option. What's up? Like that, that's what I'd be doing if I was going out with Dansby. But what was he like? I mean, work ethic wise, because I, I obviously have, to, I know a ton of guys on the Braves, and they say he's just like not like kind of like a workaholic type of dude, like psychopath with how much he cares about the game of baseball. Yeah, he's one of those guys who you'd always see practicing, you know, different different ground balls throughout batting practice, during practice, uh, even outside of practice. You know, working on plays that were challenging, backhands in the hole, whatever it may have been. Um, doing extra drill work and then being in the cages as well. So he was one of those guys. So I thought that was normal for a while because a lot of those guys at Vandy were just workaholics. They were just nonstop in the cages or, or taking ground balls. And then you get into pro ball and you start to see kind of the difference between those top level guys and some guys who just really didn't want to put in a ton of work. So Dansby's always had that that work ethic that set him apart. Your stats, your sophomore year, the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. Jordan, this guy went 14 and one with a 230 ERA. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, what was going right there that season? Because 14 and one, first of all, in a college season, which is obviously a sh- very short season, is ridiculous. So, was yeah. that like the season for you where you're like, all right, like I have potential now to be go first round again and be like a nasty and be like a big leaguer? Yeah, like I so like I said, I mean, we my freshman year, I I got I got my my teeth kicked in, and so I came back really motivated my sophomore year. We had an incredible team. Like you listed a lot of those guys, we went 26 and three in the sec that year, which is like absolutely wow. unheard of. Jesus Christ. We were rolling through teams and I was sort of riding the wave. Yeah. I won my four, first like 14 games and was, was, it was a byproduct that we had a lot of run support, but I was, yeah, I was pitching well. Um, and that was a fun year for sure. It was one of those years where I felt a lot of motivation to just kind of prove to myself and other people that I could uh, pitch at that level and, be a first rounder again kind of thing. And so that was a ridiculously fun year. Like, is there people, if I, if, for example, if me and Jordan go to Vandy for a game, do I, are we hearing like urban legends about Tyler Beatty? Like, oh, I watched him pitch against Arkansas. He went nine scoreless with 26 punchies. Like, <laughs> are, are we hearing stories about you? Because I'm looking at the stats right now. And the pitcher that pitched the second most innings on the team was at 63 and you threw 101. So your arm must have just been hanging that year. Just yeah. absurd. Yeah, 101 in college, that felt like a lot just because of fall ball. Yeah, I don't – I mean, yeah, it was um, – I don't know if you'll hear, hear a ton of stories about me, but there's obviously a lot of a lot of stories running around, and uh, I was just happy to be a part of some historic runs and be a part of that first national championship team. I mean, if there's any stories, it's probably from that team, that, that junior year who went on to win it, so – uh, really cool to be a part of it for sure. That's just, I mean, just the stats are absurd. Jordan, this is completely off topic, but I got to ask you this, Jordan, you're a style guy. What are your thoughts on the tweener looks now? Because everyone's going tweeners. Like Tay Oscar Hernandez is going tweeners with black cleats, which is pretty much psychopathic in my opinion. But what's the deal with you? Like, are you a tweener guy? Like, where do you stand with that? All right. So the, the true tweeners are terrible. Like if you're showing like, five inches of sock and your pants like jock peterson's pants are the worst <laughs> pants in the history of baseball he he couldn't look any worse 
So that look, I'm, I'm couldn't be more out on. Um, the tight tapered look where you're yes. showing maybe like an inch of sock at the bottom of the shoe. I'm in on that. Tyler's in on it. He he's he switched some pants mid season. Came out one day. He's like, "Hey, what do you think?" And I'm like, "I love it. I, I didn't even know I needed it until you showed up right here." And and I love these these pants. <laughs> so and he's got the you know the the he switched his shoes out. He's got like a low top shoe with the tapered pants, showing a little sock. It's money. Harper. There's a lot of guys that do that well. It, it's a good look. Kind of like that '90s style kind of looking. But the tweeners with the five, six inches mid shin pants, that's it's terrible. It's terrible look. But I will say this. You could get away with that five, six inch look if you're wearing stirrups and you go tweeners with a nice pair of cleats. I'm kind of all in on that. Like, for instance, if you're on the obviously a Pirates guy and you have like these nice yellow two tone shoes and you go stir up with tweeners, I'm kind of all in on that. I think that's money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I'd have to see it. I don't know. Maybe on the right person. It's not for everyone. That, that's for sure. And where do you stand on this? Because obviously there's a lot of like a trend now in Major League Baseball with guys wearing fucking fluorescent arm sleeves with teams with that aren't even remotely close to the same color as fluorescent. Are you are you in on that or you think that's just the most ridiculous thing of all time? All right. So this is going to lead into a great topic. And so the fluorescent like that bolt yellow green that was kind of a like i don't know marcel ozuna still holding on to it there's a couple guys around the league that are rocking that that was sort of a fad right like four or five years ago where that was just everywhere everybody had it on everything now i think the move is finding whatever that very faint accent color is in your uniform yes and accentuating it like the rays have that yellow burst and guys are wearing yellow sleeves yellow shoes yellow batting gloves you know, us, it's the red, right? I'm a huge proponent of the red in the pirate uniforms. They did it in the late 90s, mid-2000s. And all they have now is just the Jolly Roger bucko on the sleeve. He's got the red bandana. So I'm all in on the red. I got a red watch. I got red on some shoes. Tyler, those Kyries he mentioned are red, black, yellow. So we got like O'Neill Cruz and some of our guys have uh, red batting gloves. They put red on the Evo shield red is starting to show up on more and more guys shoes i'm in on it like that that is awesome you know there's a lot of teams like the cardinals use the yellow a lot the braves acuna has more yellow on himself than any other color he's all yellow you know it's it's cool because it accentuates that accent color so i'm in on that yeah the jays are also like red because they have like the canada like uh the like uh the leaf on their logo so they just they take advantage of the red like it's nothing now that's all they wear is this red stuff so i i could definitely see that but you mentioned o'neill cruz i gotta talk about this dude this dude is a fucking alien i mean he runs faster than tyreek hill he throws as fast as dylan cease he is as tall as aaron judge it is the most i don't even know what to even comprehend with this guy and i'll ask you this to you bd first what was it like the first time you saw this dude throw across the diamond and your neck just fucking snaps, like just watching this dude throw across? What is it like watching this guy? Well, first, I mean, I, I came over here mid-May, and so I had never uh, heard of – I honestly had never heard of O'Neill Cruz. I'd never seen him play. Wasn't in spring training with Pittsburgh. And all people were talking about was like, we got to get O'Neill Cruz up here. We got to get Cruz up here. I'm like, who is this guy? Started kind of following him on Instagram, started hearing about him. They were talking about – his exit velos. Yeah. Finally he gets up there in, in, uh, in June 
and he's throwing balls across the diamond. He's like the fastest throw of the, it's like the eighth inning. It's like the fastest throw of the game comes from the shortstop <laughs> at 98 miles an hour. You're like, Oh gosh. All right. And uh, just electric, you know, like he really does like bring a different energy. He's not like a high energy guy. I would say like, he doesn't, he's not like jumping around or, or super loud. He's kind of calm, cool and collected, but like, he just electrifies the game just by, like you said, his speed, his size, his ability to throw the ball across the diamond faster than anybody. So uh, happy that he's on our side. That's yeah, Jordan, you got to see him, right? So you got to see him kind of come up in the system, kind of maybe get a little taste in spring training uh, and all that type of stuff. What's your thought? I mean, what what do, what do you like when you see O'Neill Cruz? Like, what's running through your head? Because he's you're playing with a guy that's a legit specimen, like a guy that like does he just breaks. It doesn't make sense. So what was it like right. the first time you saw him, Jordan? Yeah, you know, just obviously the first thing that stands out to him is just his sheer physical size. I mean, he's every bit of six seven. He looks like he could be a power forward in the NBA, like just long levers, huge frame. And the fluidity and ease in which he moves around at his size on a baseball field, like he moves like he's six one mm. and and runs like just a smaller athlete. Like he is just fluid and smooth and effortless in everything that he does. His arm is effortless. Just the ball explodes out of his hand. He swings. The ball explodes off his bat. Like the perceived amount of effort that it looks like he is putting into everything that he does looks to be so minimal. And yet the result is so far and beyond anybody else's like maximum effort. It's just incredible watching him. And, you know, and so he's he's getting up to speed at playing at this level. He's going to take his lumps. Um, he's learning every day. Um, but he's just so unbelievably talented um, that he's going to be a lot of fun to watch for a long time. And it, it, is he, is, does he wear a lot of chains too? Cause I, I love the guys that just wear like 50 chains, like Acuna, like at the home <laughs> run derby. I genuinely do wonder because obviously I've got a chance to like put on a guy's chain, like front of the show's chain and stuff like that. And they are so unbelievably fucking heavy. It's like you're, it's like you're working out with chain when you're doing pull-ups or whatever. It's crazy. Like, is he a big chain guy? Uh, he, uh, he's not a big multi-chain guy, but he did upgrade his chain game when he got to the big leagues this year. He got a nice flooded Cuban with a big old 15 diamond <laughs> pendant on it. It's a super show. Um, I noticed that. I mean, it, it's hard to miss, but it, it's very sharp. Looks good on him. He's just, I, 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 the, I don't get how Acuna does it. Like Acuna wears 50 of them and he yeah, just, it looks like a, it's a scarf of chains. <laughs> it's, and those chains cost more than like my life. Like the, the, I have to work probably <laughs> 50 years to be able to afford a chain that Ronald Acuna wears, like all the chains that he wears. So it is crazy. But this is completely off topic again. But we got to talk about a man that took the internet by storm a couple of days ago. I tweeted about him. I need him on the podcast. The autograph seeker at the All-Star game. Oh. The man that is elbowing children. I don't know if there's something wrong with him mentally. I, I don't, there might be. So, I don't like, obviously, I don't think there's nothing really came out about it. Maybe he's just a normal dude. You guys deal with these dudes all the time. When you saw that video, was part of you, Jordan, like, thank you. I'm glad that this I got shot, like a light got shined on these grown-ass men that are, like, just so absurd about autographs. Yeah, it, it, I, the only thing that would have made that video better is what I re responded to you on Twitter is if whoever he was trying to give that ball to would have taken it and just thrown it into the parking lot. Like that would have made <laughs> that video an A plus because that guy is so out, like out of his mind and 
like have some have a shred of feel you know like just you're the absolute worst you're the worst <laughs> like there's all these kids you're literally elbowing standing smashing these like 10 year old 12 year old kids get out of here man uh, i i it's just i don't know and the players i mean i just see it from afar like i hate it for them like you're, you're the worst guy like these kids are it's all they want is to just be close and see their favorite player and have that experience. And you're a grown ass man trying to just bully and smash them into <laughs> getting one for yourself. That you're probably just going to go try to sell on eBay. Did, yeah. did you, see, you saw Beat that it. Tyler, you saw that video, Tyler. Yeah. It's just, it is, it's just, it's a uh, par for the course. You know, you go to any stadium and it's just, people are, we got people, I think San Diego, I'm not going to say San Diego is the worst, but they're sitting on the corner by the hotel all day and night. And, and you're going to lunch with your wife or breakfast with your wife and they're crossing the street and you know, interrupting you and, and trying to get an autograph. And there's a time and a place for it at the stadium. And then there's people at the stadium who are, you know, you can tell they're asking you every day to sign all 15 of the cards that they have of you from, you know, seven years ago. And it's, uh, you know, for the kids always, you know, but for, for guys like that, it's tough to, it's tough to root for tough to root for. Yeah. And, and I have a funny story. So I went to go visit Jordan Luplo and Jake Hager in, uh, I believe it was Cincinnati. So I'm talking with them down the line. Obviously, like, I'm a good friend of theirs. So, like, we're just having a good conversation. And some grown-ass adult, and this is, like, a part of me not having feel as well, comes up to them. And I didn't realize there was kids around them. He comes up to them and says, I would ask you guys for your autographs, but I have to know your name first. I was like, and he was, like, holding a bunch of cars. And I was like, I look, I turn around, I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? I was like, this is how you approach like big leaguers for autographs. You ask them for their fucking name. And then I didn't realize there was kids there. So I felt bad, but I was just so mad. Like we were just literally in the middle of a conversation. And this dude is like, I would ask you for your name. I'm like, is that how you approach getting an autograph from a, like a, a big leaguer dude? Like Jordan Lupo hit a grand slam in the fucking playoffs last year to take the lead against Chris sale. Like I'm sure if you took a second to just search the roster, you would see who this guy, like you would know who this dude is, but it's crazy. Like, do you have any crazy stories like that, Tyler? Of just fans being, cause obviously like a first round guy like you, I'm sure you had to sign a ton of shit. So I'm assuming you've had some funny stories. I mean, yeah. Right. When I got over here to Pittsburgh, obviously I wasn't well known by the fans, you know, in San Fran, you know, people at least recognize me from being around for so long. Um, I, I guess I look like JT Brubaker. So literally from day one, <laughs> I, 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 I'm in the bullpen. I'm, I'm in walking by the fans, JT, JT. And it's, it's been nonstop since I've been in Pittsburgh, which I, I actually kind of enjoy, you know, uh, for some reason I like it and I think it's funny. So I, you know, I don't look anything like Brubaker. I, we got, we both have long hair and we both have a beard. Other than that, that's like about the, it. the frame isn't the same, nothing. I mean, we both pitch, so I guess that's part of it too, but uh, I'll be warming up in the bullpen too. And it's like BD's on the back of my Jersey and they're like, Brubaker, JT. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, uh, so I, I get that all the time. That's about as funny as it comes. And so. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's just crazy. Are Jordan, are you still fuming or feuding with the uh, ball seekers in Pittsburgh? Like, how's that going? Because I'm going to be down there in a month. I'm going to be down there in August to visit like Tyler Matzik and uh, Strider and all those guys. And I'll come to see you obviously as well. Are, am I going to be able to like document maybe some uh, beef with the guys, maybe get some interviews? Cause I heard you're like still most wanted by the autograph uh, and ball guys <laughs> down there. You know what? I don't know if they've like changed that when the gates open or our schedules have changed. I, I just, there's not as much of a crowd out there for BP uh, when we're hitting the home team um, as much as there has been in the past. And some of the usual suspects that are usually out there running around, uh, I haven't really seen as much of this year. So I don't know. I mean, you'll have to just kind of see, see what's out there. Um, BP has been less, like there's usually only maybe two groups this year. Not everybody hits every day on the field. It's just, it's been a little anticlimactic. Although Zach Hample was in Pittsburgh earlier this year. And biggest chance, loser. Biggest we loser talked a little in bit. baseball. We talked a little bit. He, uh, he put me on the vlog. So, so you guys you are know. good now? Yeah, we're good. All right. Well, we're I good. still hate he, him, but that's fine. <laughs> can, we talk about, can we talk about what's the proper way to ask for a ball during a game? Because I can't stand the can I get a toss-up. Like that mm. in, the rock, in the rock, paper, scissors. Like, yeah. But can I get a toss-up? Like where did that come from? When Because yeah. I hadn't heard that since before I came over to Pittsburgh. And you know what's amazing, though? the vernacular and the vocabulary used by kids from Los Angeles to Boston is exactly the same. Yeah. The toss up like verbiage that you get just crushed with 10,000 times a day, every day is the same from the coast to coast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Really? It it's, like, unbelievable. it's a phenomenon. Yeah. The ball hawking phenomenon. It's crazy. I, I've heard in Canada, they're more polite about it. And that might be just me being biased because I'm Canadian, but I heard like <laughs> we've had guys on the podcast say, that like in the U.S. it's just like ball, 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 and then in Canada it's like can I get a ball, please? Like there's a, there's like a please oh, nice. attached to the end of it, which makes it a little bit yeah. sweeter with it with a child. But yeah. I've heard stories of like you guys, the kids just are just ruthless, like they're demons. They're just like ball, just it's, like they expect it. Yep. Oh, they're it's they're just hyenas. They're it's unbelievable that <laughs> you go out there. Like I'll be the first one out to the bullpen before the game, right, to set up the the bullpen and get the starting catcher going through his pregame stuff and. You know, there's maybe some leftover home run balls from BP or something laying around in there. And you come in there and it's like I'm entering a, a feed tank. <laughs> I mean, it is like not even a, hey, Jordan, how you doing? Especially at home. I mean, these people know who I am. I'm out there every day. Hey, how you doing? Hey, welcome home. It's just the second you step in that door, it's ball, ball, <laughs> ball, ball, like pointing like, oh, my gosh, you know, uncle nobody's getting anything like i'm yeah. out it just feel free to say hi how you doing like nothing it's just i'm a piece of meat and, and i just need to hand him that ball and be done with it no thank you <laughs> and, and we'll see you you know it's unbelievable it is it is crazy i don't know how you guys deal with it i would go mental like i, I would i would have a mental attack or a panic attack just having to just knowing 
when you step foot in that bullpen, it's just immediate. All right, I'm going to get hounded by 500 people for two baseballs, yeah. and I yep. got to pick those. Like, obviously, Jordan, you have a daughter that goes to the games and stuff like that. Does she ever say to you, it's like, dad, like, why do these guys care? Like, why do grown men care so much about, like, a fucking a, a baseball that you could buy at, like, a store? Like, did, did she ever notice that? No, she hasn't. That's a good question. Um, she has not asked me uh, anything along those lines, but she is very perceptive. And I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if she did notice that. But she hasn't asked me specifically <laughs> that. Um I mean, it, it is fairly amazing. Uh, it's just, and it's unrelenting. Like, and this is the thing. If you give one away, even if there is somebody up there that you kind of like want to give a ball to and like really make their day, if you give it to them, it's just the floodgates open. So yeah. it's like, I can't give one away because then I want, I, I have to give a hundred away because it's just like, it would be never stop. You'd never stop asking. Who I feel the most bad for is like the first basements during like when they're throwing, obviously like they're giving grounders before the pitcher is like warm and are ready to go and stuff like that. Right. When like I see it with Vladdy all the time before he even turns around to like throw the ball to the crowd, <laughs> the whole 100 level section stands up and just starts. Screaming <laughs> like, it's like, Holy Christ, man. It's a big, like it's a baseball. Like, listen, I was young and stuff like this, but we're talking grown ass men. Like yeah. that dude begging for the autographs, begging for balls. And I was, so I went down to see Amir Garrett last week. I'm just going to name drop this whole episode, I guess. I went, I went down to see Amir Garrett and some <coughs> grown man looks at me and he's like, can you get Amir to sign a ball for me? I'm like, dude, I, I haven't seen this dude in like two yeah. years because of the pandemic. Yeah. And you're just, you're going to, you're going to use me as just like a guy. All right. Can you get him to sign a ball for me? I'm like, no, dude, I'm not going to fucking ask him to sign a ball for you. Like, you know, how awkward that is too. Like, Hey man. Some guy, I have no idea who the fuck that is over there, wants you to sign a ball for him. Yeah. Can you go and do that? It's crazy. It's crazy. Does Bednar get a pretty bad BD? Like, do you see that? Like, because he's obviously yeah. the face of Pittsburgh now, so. Exactly, yeah. We Right when we come down, everybody's like, hey, is Bednar down there? Is Bednar down there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the strong Yinzer accents, and uh, yeah. he doesn't come down to the third inning, so we're pretty much getting – there's a guy who kind of looks like Bednar, Will Crow. He gets, you know, David, David. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's obviously the most popular guy, right? rightfully so. Yeah, he yeah. is so special. I'm so happy for him, man. That All-Star game was sick. And I heard the story. I don't know if you guys saw the story about Edwin Diaz saying, like, let him pitch. That's an awesome story. Especially oh. – did you see that? Did I didn't see, see that. that so what happened was Snicker was going to put in Edwin Diaz, I believe, in the eighth or ninth inning. And Edwin Diaz came up to the manager, Snicker, and said, no, 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 put Bednar in. He has, like, this is his first All-Star game. He hasn't pitched yet. I've wow. already pitched in an all-star game. I know what it's like. Let Bednar go. Because Bednar apparently wasn't going to go. Yeah. And Edwin Diaz said, like, put Bednar in. So that's awesome. Like, that's sick. Wow. That's phenomenal, man. That's wow. really cool. I hadn't seen that. <laughs> I awesome. hadn't seen that either. I'm a big fan of Edwin Diaz now. I'm sure yeah, Bed I'm sure Bednar cool. appreciates that, too. I'm sure he'll say his yeah. side of it. But I did see a tweet about it. And, like, it was by The Athletic. So it's obviously a credible source and stuff like that. Yeah. But it is it, just little things like that. It, like, kind of makes odds. Like, you can see the human element of baseball where it's like, all right. Like, this guy's, like, a common man, Edwin Diaz. Like, obviously, a lot of fans hate him because he's on the Mets. One of the most hated teams, I guess, right now. But he's yeah. a normal dude that, like, actually has feelings and is like, all right, like, put in Bednar. Like, it's the first All-Star game. So, I thought that I thought that was awesome. I really was. Yeah. And Bednar just shoved. Like, he just he just yeah. does what he does. He just shoved in the All-Star game. It was sick. Yeah. That's awesome. Jordan, I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a video of Tyler on the internet uh, when Brett Phillips, who I have a story about a little bit later, just going absolutely fucking psycho mode, screaming. Just 
just obliterating Dodgers fans, which I love because I fucking hate Dodgers fans. Is that not the Tyler? You know which video I'm talking about? Of me, you said? Yeah. Oh, oh, dur- yeah. During the World Series, oh, <laughs> what yeah. was going on there? Was that Liquid Courage? Like he's just screaming, like I don't know if you were saying "fuck you," "fuck you." I don't know if you were saying that directly to Dodgers fans, but credit to me for doing the research. It is one of the most absurd <laughs> videos I've ever seen, and I'm all in on it. Like it has like thirty thousand views. So yeah, explain well, that because I, I'm assuming your boys with uh, Phillips. Okay, yeah. So the context is I went to the World Series game to watch Brett Phillips. Brett Phillips was at that point of the season just a defensive replacement, come in and run, uh, you know, uh, replacement to run the bases, base base guy. So I was never expecting him to get in that bat. He's on the on deck circle, and uh, it's obviously the the bottom of the the ninth or whatever it was. It was the bottom of the ninth, and um, you know they needed. I think uh, Rosarena needed to get walked, or whoever was before him needed to get walked. And the fans were chirping all in that section. Tons of Dodgers fans. I obviously was playing for the Giants at the time. That was our big rival. Don't like any Dodgers fans. Me neither. Uh, right. So. Uh, Anyways, he comes to the he comes up he comes up to the bat and there's a huge section of fans who are like this guy sucks. He's got a zero batting average. He's got no chance. And you know, I, I go into like friend mode, protection mode, and I'm just like, I didn't say anything at the time. I just had a gut feeling that he was going to do something special there. And um, and so he comes up he comes up to the plate, does his thing, gets a knock. The Rosarena trips around third. He stumbles, he gets to the plate, they win the game. And yeah, I just sort of, uh, there was a little liquid courage there, but I didn't say, I didn't say anything F you, but I did say, I for sure was saying suck it. For some yes, reason, you were saying suck it, not F you. You were yeah, saying suck it. for some reason, it. that was what came out. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that was my chirp, but I just felt like those fans were just shook. And uh, I was so happy for Brett. I was going nuts. My wife was going nuts. And uh, for some reason, I wanted to just, like, give the fans a little taste of their own medicine because they were chirping the whole game. So uh, it all came out at once, and I'm glad it was Brett. That was the reason that it happened for sure. And this is my thing. Jordan, are you allowed to act like that in the bullpen? Like, for example, because you're a coach, stuff like that. So if, if someone walks it off, are you allowed to just, especially in an opposing park, just go absolutely psycho mode in the in like the bullpen and stuff? Or where where's, like, the uh, – Where's like where where where's that line lie with that type of stuff? Um, I mean, if in those situations, we're all about just keeping it with the guys that we have, you know, in that area. You know, the bullpen, we're going to celebrate with each other. Dugout, they're obviously if it's a walk off, they're flooding the field and going after the the players are going after whoever scored the run or got the hit or whatever. But very rarely, if ever, does any kind of interaction with fans really you know, uh, happen. I mean, it, it would have to be really egregious or, you know, extra to engage seriously uh, with some kind of idiot in the stands that's yelling at you or something. So, yeah, I mean, they're pretty bad in Philly. I've heard, I, I think the last podcast Strider said it, or I, I think it was the one before, but they come at you in Philly, like they're hanging over the railings and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. Dodgers fans are the worst. That's something we can just always agree on. They think they could just, I, I'm assuming Juan Soto would be there in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, that's, they're just the worst human beings of all time. So yeah, I, it's just, it's crazy. But, and you, and you mentioned playing with the giants. I got to ask you about this because this is a guy that has taken my heart by storm. He's on the Jays. Now is Kevin Gossman. I'm assuming your boys with K Goss. 
What's yeah. this dude like? Because I'm infatuated with him. He talks about on podcasts about how high he is all the time, or just just funny shit <laughs> about him just not giving a fuck and just carving on the mound. I'm in love with Kevin Gossman. I think I'd risk my life to have like even talk to him. What's yeah. Kevin Gossman like, Beatty? Yeah, he. I mean, he is as advertised. He's uh, <laughs> very easy to get along with. He's always like best friend from the jump kind of thing. He's super likable guy, super personable. He's grown out his hair, so I like him even more now. Um, obviously extremely talented on the field, um, but off the field, he's a guy that you always want to hang around with. Beautiful family, super fun guy to be around for sure. We were at uh, Logan Webb's wedding this off season and guys got incredible dance moves as well. So it's just, he's just full of talent. It's, it's hard not to root for him. Um, I was, I was happy that he got paid this off season because you look at the direct trajectory of his career and, you know, he was in Baltimore grinding out the ALEs for, you know, four or five years and then kind of went through the DFA train, um, a guy who I can kind of relate to in that respect. And so to see him sort of have success in San Fran and go on to Toronto and get paid, I'm happy for him. It's Toronto's got a phenomenal uh, human being on their team for sure. So I feel like if I talked to him, I'd be staring at him like uh, Robert Doback and Step Brothers, the dinner table with Dale (laughs) Doback, just like my my hands like here, because I love that dude. But he is, and one thing, another, and maybe you could talk about this as well. And I said this, I said this on the other part, the Gate Fourteen podcast. He packs the biggest dips I've ever seen in my life on the mound. I can't believe it. I'm infatuated with it. I love it because I'm, a, I'm a dip guy. It is awesome to see. Do you how like how does he do that? How do you pitch with a fucking hammer in your mouth? It has to be next to impossible. He, and he does it every inning. He takes it out and throws a new one in every <laughs> inning, every single inning. This guy. Yeah, I, that's savagery. I, I couldn't do it. I, I, <laughs> even the, the texture of it, thinking about it, I, I, I hadn't dipped since I was about ninth grade. Just, and I, you know, it, it is what it is. But I think for some guys, it's like they need it. You know, it's like uh, either like an oral fixation or it's something to take their mind off of whatever it is. For me, it's chewing gum. For other guys, it's packing a huge lipper. So it's like I respect it. I couldn't do it. Um, maybe it's just another one of those things that just adds to the myth of Kevin Gosman. I love it. I, I'm like, I just, I think it's awesome. He does like, he just carves with it. Yeah. And I guess he's starting to throw, I think it's a splitter, right? Is it a splitter that he's implemented into his thing? Yeah. Is that something like, cause obviously this year you've turned it around crazy. Your ERA is three at the break, which is unreal. Is that good? You tell me what is something, have you like implemented some sort of pitch like that where it's like you're catching hitters more off balance or what is it like your sequences? What, what What's making you successful right now? Well, it was the big, the big change was the uniform change from the baggy pants to the tapered pants was huge. <laughs> and there, there's a lot to say about the way that you, you dress out there, but then it was, yeah, I mean, it's been, I've been super impressed with the staff in Pittsburgh. They've been um, nothing but encouraging and helpful. I think that's the biggest thing that separates from like my time here. It's like, we just have a hype crew, man. Like we're, we're throwing bullpens, you know, to, like yesterday, for example, and guys are just like, going going nuts encouraging guys um that's that's a huge part of it but yeah i've started throwing a sinker a two-seamer more um a lot more and then a slider as well so when i came over here i was kind of four seam change up curveballs sort of in spurts and um since i've come over here a lot of the success i've had has come from throwing a two-seamer and slider like jordan do you have say on that like is the pitching coach strict where he's like doesn't want you saying stuff or if you notice something with the guy are you going to be like maybe you should start like trying to implement this pitch a little bit. Cause I'm seeing it behind the plate when I'm catching your bullpens and it's fucking nasty. Like where, where do you lie with that, Jordan? Um, you know, just more from providing, you know, visual feedback on just the shape and action of stuff, 
you know, as it comes out of the hand and gets to the plate and gets to the hitting zone, you know, like it, there's so many different pieces of technology that are used. Like when they're throwing these pens, we got Rapsodo, we got TrackMan, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the bullpen coaches back there with his phone, like slow-mo video, and you got another edutronic camera, you know, and you can, every pitch, it's like, there's all this data and you throw the pitch, you look at the screen, you can analyze it, see where it was at, what it was. And then you have the catcher who's like the, you know, the human lens at the other end that says, Hey, what do my eyes tell you, you know, about this uh, analytical data. Right. And so it's just kind of combining all of those different um, pieces of feedback into driving, you know, change or pitch development um, and all and all those things. So it's neat. It's, it's cool from my end to be able to have, that input when asked. Um, and it's cool when what I see, you know, from my end matches kind of what, uh, the numbers say, you know, and so that's a cool part of it for sure. And Tyler talking about Jordan here, pumping his tires a little bit. David Bednar said he's never seen a bullpen catcher, like so invested in like what he's doing in his craft. And obviously Jordan has aspirations of moving up in the coaching system and stuff like that, which I think he easily will do. What, is he one of the bullpen coaches that you've ever had where it's like, man, this guy is fucking prepared every single, like just by like setting up the bullpen before the game, just little things like that. Is that something you've noticed? Yeah. He's so much more than just a bullpen catcher. Obviously he does tremendous work with the catchers and we were in Miami last week and it was cool to see him uh, sat alongside Stallings as kind of showing off the gold glove. Obviously he plays a huge factor into the catcher's success um, and in turn, the pitcher success, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do as pitchers is throw pitches right on the corners, right around the zone. And, you know, catcher being able to steal strikes is, is hugely important. And, and Jordan is super focused during the game, obviously uh, uh, outside of the game as well on helping catchers improve. So it's super impressive to see his work there. And he comes prepared with with umpire reports, showing us what what the umpire scouting report is, the zone that he has. Um, and he is he's focused during the game. He'll be you know, he's the guy chirping the the umpire if, if they're they're not calling strikes. And um, he cares. He cares about how we do as pitchers. He cares about everything that's going on during the game, the minor details. And so kind of as a pitcher, we respect that a ton and um, kind of have a guy like that down there in the bullpen is, is huge for us. Well, you could just say his name. His name's Angel Hernandez. That's usually fucking having meltdowns behind the plate. And listen, <laughs> listen, I, I don't know where you guys stand on this robo arms, but there was a Jays game, I believe a couple months ago where an umpire had a, I think it was a 70% per, like correct strike call correct rate in a game. And it caught, like it was plus two runs for the White Sox. Jays lost by one. I don't know if that makes a massive difference, but where do you guys stand on these robo owns? Because some of these guys, listen, <clears throat> there's guys that have 99% cards. They're awesome. I think those guys should obviously have jobs and be promoted and like obviously get more money and stuff like that. But you have these dudes in the union that are doing 75, 70% scorecards here. It's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Where do you guys, I'll start with you, Jordan. Where do you stand with these robot ops? Where do you stand with these? All right. So I think an implementation of like a fully automated strike zone would be one of the worst things to ever happen to the game. I, I think a fully automated zone would totally change the entire dynamic of the sport. Um, I think the hitters would instantly realize they made a big mistake if they were a proponent of this, that it would not be good for them. I think pitchers would then adjust and it, it would become like blitz ball. Like guys would be throwing chest high sliders at 92 miles an hour. They'd be throwing 
high 12, six curveballs that clip the line. Like nobody's hitting that. Like it would just become a totally different sport. In my opinion, I think there are lots of other alternatives that could keep the human element behind the plate that would keep everything the same, but would better the game. There are a, a plenty of umpires around the league that call balls and strikes at a very uh, successful rate. They're very consistent. They're very good. Those guys should be monetized and valued for that ability, right? Not everybody's good behind the plate. So you know what? The guys that are, there's two on every crew. You're going to rotate. You're going to make more money. Um, you're going to do the plate all year long, and that's your role. And you're going to be compensated for it because you're good at it. If you're terrible on behind the plate, you're going to be stuck on the bases. And you've earned that because your track record has said that that's where you're at. And there are enough guys around the league that I think you could be able to implement that type of system where the umpires would still be valued. Their job is not in jeopardy. The guys that are good at it are valued and, and you move on, um, you know, or we've even, we, this has been a topic in the bullpen of discussion where, you know, you even create like a pool of bonus money over the course of a series and the, the umpire in that series that has the best score behind the plate takes the pot. Right. And it's like a league, say it's a thousand dollars a series. Right. Um, and you're doing series all year. I mean, you're making tens of tens of thousands of dollars potentially if you win all these pots by the end of the year bonus. So it's like it, it's like a competition within that crew who has the best score behind the plate for that given series. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of creative things that you, you could do that wouldn't completely ruin and jeopardize the integrity of, of the game as it is now. Where do you stand with it, Tyler? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what he's saying. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge proponent of the automated strike zone. I think that's, and I've talked to a lot of umpires. Um, I've become friends with a handful of them and they're, they're indifferent about it. They, they think it'll take the pressure off. Obviously I think, um, you know, the way that they are, are, are judged and evaluated in the strike zone, I think plays a lot into why the zone is so inconsistent for some umpires. You know, if you, if you call a strike a ball, you get penalized. But if you call, sorry, if you call a strike a ball, you don't get penalized. But if you call a ball a strike, you get penalized. So the, the way that they're getting evaluated plays a factor into why they're sometimes, you know, balling strikes and things of that nature because it's not as penalizing. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, I think I, I respect the, the catcher's ability to steal strikes. And that'll obviously go out the window if it's automated because they'll no longer be really as uh, catchers won't be as utilized or valuable because of their ability to present balls, strikes kind of thing. Um, but then there are obviously times where you pitch in a game and you're like, wow, that, that clipped the zone. That's even a ball in the zone and he balled it. Uh, so in those cases, it would obviously be helpful. But like he said, it would jeopardize the uh, integrity of the game. And to me, I, yeah, to me, I, I think, you know, there are enough umpires around the league where when you watch the flow of the game, that call strikes and they might even stretch the zone a little here and there. If a pitch is well executed and well caught and it's a ball off the edge, a hitter might look back and ask, Hey, is that the edge? Is that as far out as you're going to go? And that's the end of it. it mo the game moves. They like calling strikes yeah. pitches that are executed properly are rewarded. Like to me, that's how it should be. Call strikes, keep things moving. The guys that are so ultra tight, that like perceptually looks like they just hate calling strikes. I mean, full balls in the zone consistently, everything on the edges, ball, ball. The games take four hours. Like 
you don't need to be a hero back there, dude. Like let's, and then inevitably they'll miss one. That's a ball off the plate. And then you get the hitter like, Hey bro, where the hell was that? That hasn't been there. Or on the other side, then the dugouts chirp. I'm like, Hey, where, you know, what is then those are the guys that get the most heat on them because they're, they're trying to be so ultra perfect and tight that it it's impossible. Just call strikes, keep things moving Give a, a half a ball, a ball off here and there. Nobody's going to say anything and be consistent with that. You won't have any issues. Nobody says a word about it. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, to me, it's not that hard. And there's plenty of guys that can do that. Yeah. And I'm looking at some scorecards here. Like a lot of umpire scorecards are over 94, 93%. And there's just, just these odd guys that are at like the 80% range the whole time, which is, it's crazy. Like, I don't understand. And I, I know I, I made a TikTok about it a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Just Baseball show. And, is it crazy to just want umpire? Like, I, I want the human element of the game. Why don't you reward umpires who are good? Like, why, why don't you, if, for example, if an umpire has an 85% scorecard a couple games in a row, send his ass down to the minors so we can figure it out and then move him back up. It, I don't understand the whole element of protecting these guys that are dog shit at their job that make a wrinkle on for your profession if you're an umpire. It's just crazy to me. I, I don't get why they're, it just promote the good umpires and the minors. I'm sure there are tons. There are tons of good umpires in the minors and keep the guys in the show behind the plate that are good behind the plate that are putting 95%. I've seen some court scorecards, 99%. The only ball they missed was the first ball of the game. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. So, so yeah, that's just, it, 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 that's just the point of the game where it's like, whatever, man, it's fucking crazy to me. But the second, so we have a couple more things to talk about. So second last thing I want to talk about is, is this pirates team? Obviously, like a not, not a sleeper, but like a fighting team, a team that is has kept themselves in a lot of ball games. You guys beat the Padres in a series, I believe it was earlier this year. You beat the Dodgers in a series this year. A couple. What what's this Contreras kid like? By the way, this kid's disgusting, right? Yeah, Ro, Rose disgusting. I mean, he's twenty two. He's he's been incredibly consistent. Minus one game where he was he just happened to be tipping pitches and they took advantage of it. But other than that, he's been our, you know, he's, he seems like he's got ACE material. He'll be kind of the leader of the staff for probably years to come. And so he's incredibly talented. His work ethic is unmatched too. And um, that's just kind of the, the nature of this team. Like you mentioned, like we, we've played so well against some of the best teams in the league. And we always joke about you throw us in the postseason, we're going to probably surprise some people and we would win some games. And um We've played, I think, I don't know what the number is, maybe Comadina knows, but we've played more two, one or two run games than anyone in the league. And I think it was 59. 59. Of our, of our 93 games were one or two runs, decided right. by one or two runs. So, so we're in, we're in every game. Uh, bullpens, our bullpen is pitching high leverage games. Our starters are putting us in positions to win. Um, and so you, you flip the script on a handful of those games and we're, we're in the wild card kind of thing. And so, yeah, you never know. We've got, you know, close to 70 games left and uh, you never know what will happen. But I think it's just like the 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 future of this team and the organization is is on the uphill. Right. We've got a lot of talented young guys who've come up, gotten a ton of experience and um, gone through their growing pains. But it just shows that there's a lot of promise in the future for the Buccos. Yeah, it's I mean, this kid's nasty. I, I like watching him pitch. He just he's just so fun to watch pitch and stuff like that. But uh, let's talk about psycho pass in the bullpen here. I know, I know um, Jordan mentioned uh, Bednar is like borderline psychopathic when he's in the bullpen warming up for games and stuff like that, screaming and shit. Who, 
who is he still the is he still the clubhouse leader for cycle pass and the bullpen, Jordan? Or who, who's one guy that's uh, his warm up routine? It's like get the fuck away from this dude. No, I think Bednar's still <laughs> the top dog on that. I mean, his ball slam into the wall is, <laughs> is it? Like you get out of the way when he's got that green ball in his hand because he's <laughs> he hey and he so here's his new thing this year. He, he's self aware on this ball thing, so he has this green thirty two ounce tap plyo ball that he wrote his name on and it's his ball nobody else touches it it sits on the top of the bench until he's ready to use it and he was put his name on it to see how many games it would take for him to break the ball okay so it hit it bit the dust he's already on to ball two he broke it maybe what a couple weeks ago he, he, he popped it and he showed he's like, hey ball broke it, <laughs> threw it away got to get a new one you know <laughs> so and it's only like three throws a day at the end. so imagine the force he finds a brick wall has i mean he's done his bands and he's loose but he hasn't thrown a ball yet he'll pick up this 32 ounce ball and throw it three times off the wall i'm thinking he's gonna break a brick on the wall before he breaks <laughs> another like wham 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 and he and then he just tosses it puts his piece of gum in he walks up on the mound and here we go. It's pretty, pretty he's, good. He's just so electric, dude. That's like, and what I love about Bednar is, is like, um, he, when he's on the mound, it's like, I, he, the hitter knows what's coming. He's throwing the fucking heat and he's going to let that motherfucker eat. And he just does like, he's just so impressive to watch on the mound. And I actually got duped last week. Uh, I, his, he was trending on Twitter in Canada. I was like, why the fuck is this guy trending? So I search his name and I see David Bednar to the Yankees. And I almost like, tur- I jumped, I almost, I was going to fucking swerve my car into another lane of traffic. I was like, no, I hope to God this guy's on the Yankees. It was duped. It was MLB trade rumors with a Z. So I texted like 10 people, <laughs> fuck Bednar to the fucking Yankees. And I got duped. So it is crazy, but his, tra- his name has come up in trade talks like crazy as of late, man. It's like one of the biggest names mentioned in Toronto now. I hope he doesn't get traded. You know, there, there's uh, there's a perfect fit for teams, and we have a lot of guys who are going to stick around for a while, but Bednar being a Pittsburgh guy, coming out in the ninth, closing games, uh, t- it's tough to beat. And, yeah, definitely definitely want him to stick around for years to come. He was born to pitch in Pittsburgh. He really was. The renegade, the Pittsburgh fans yeah. love him. Have you guys seen this trend, by the way, of uh, – the Clint Hurdle cameo that fans are responding to opposing teams after they after the after the Pirates win. Have you seen those? Uh-uh. No. So someone bought <laughs> so <laughs> someone bought a cameo of Clint Hurdle, and it just the Pirates fans go crazy about it. They always respond. So after you guys bet, uh, beat the Dodgers, I saw it. It's Clint Hurdle saying on a cameo, "Your poverty organization just lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates." It's just a cameo of him saying that, and they respond to it. They used to respond to every team you beat. You'll see the response. It's just the Clint Hurdle video. Someone calling another association, like just poverty franchise lost to the Pirates. <laughs> the greatest trend of all time. And there's another one. I believe it's of Mitch Thompson saying it as well. So some fan, when he was signing autographs, got him to say your poverty franchise lost to the Pirates. So it's just the greatest. It's the greatest trend of all time. It really is. I, Clint Hurdle's a legend down there. I mean, like he is. I, I, I remember those days, man, like, uh, when what what was it jordan was it when they were chanting a pitcher's name and he balked on the mound what, what what's your yeah that was the that was t- uh 2013 the wild card game with cueto and the reds oh man just that video gives me chills like do you guys yeah. notice like uprising in your fans a little bit more now or like what what's that like 
Um, I mean, there's, we've had some good crowds this summer, you know, and we've had, um, you know, the Dodgers here and the Padres and some of the weekend sets with some of the bigger market clubs, the Yankees brought some big crowds out. I mean, the Yankee series was packed. It was awesome. Um, you know, and Pittsburgh PNC is a really cool, special place when that place is filled up, you know, the place gets loud, the fans are good, you know, they're engaged. Um, it's just about getting them out there and getting that place filled up regularly. Cause it is a really cool, uh, great environment to play in. Yeah, uh, dude, I-, I was watching an Oakland athletics game yesterday and they had like 4,000 fans. Like I feel bad for those dudes, man. I, and it was so bad there that, you know, how usually giveaways are like one day. It's like a one day giveaway. You only show up there. Their giveaways are stretched upon multiple days because they can't do like a 20,000 giveaway because they won't have 20,000 fans. So it's like a bobblehead giveaway Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like the same bobblehead. It's fucking wild. But I will say this, man, those young guys you have coming up, they're going to start putting asses in fucking seats. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah so the next thing, last thing I want to talk about, obviously, is going to the second half of the season. I mean, obviously, like the young guys are up now. You got all these, like you got uh, Contreras, all these guys that have been carving and stuff like that. What's like, what's like the clubhouse like? Are you guys looking forward to like, I'm assuming make a push a little bit here and stuff like that. But going to the end of the year, the funnest part for me watching you guys, stuff like that is you guys are so well at playing the spoiler to teams that are trying to make the playoffs. Like, is that something that is like talked about in the clubhouse and stuff? Like when you're playing a team that is in the playoffs and shit like that, Tyler, like where it's, all right, let's let's play fucking spoiler here. Like, let's play spoiler. Let's take away their chance to make in the playoffs. Is that something that's like talked about in big league clubhouses? I think maybe towards the end of the season, as you get as you get closer to that point, it, it could possibly become a topic. I think you know uh, there's ways to generate motivation towards the end of the year, and that that could be one of them uh, to keep your focus up in September, kind of thing. I think we realize we do have a talented group. We've played well against talented teams, teams that will be in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think it's just the nature of, of the beast. You know, we, we've played such close games. We know that we that we could flip the script on some of those games and be be back in the hunt. So, yeah, we're always playing to win. We're always playing to get into the postseason. So that'll be our goal. And then if there's ever a time during the season where we may not be in it or we're definitely out, yeah, maybe you flip the script and you try to, you know, change the motivation. Hey, let's try to play spoiler kind of thing. But for now, we're obviously playing to to make a run at the wild card. And Jordan, how was how did that uh, Tyler mentioned the gold glove thing? How did that come up? Like, did uh, did Stallings tell you pregame, like, come out here and take the picture with the gold glove with me, or how how did that turn out? Yeah, so the um, you know I suppose the Marlins had waited to present him that trophy until the uh, hmm. Pirates came to town um, for that reason. You know, the, uh, Mattingly and Shelty took a picture together with the Rawlings representatives, and then. Jacob and I, uh, you know, he wanted me to be a part of that ceremony, which was, I was very honored to, to do. And um, he called me down before the game and uh, there was a little break in those couple pictures. So I slid in there and him and I got a picture with, with the trophy and, um, you know, they had a little presentation and um, everything for him, a lot of media and photos being taken and all that. So it was really cool. Very, very honored um, to be a part of it. It was really cool. It's sick, man. I mean, it's it's just crazy. Like, if I could, if you could look back on it like ten years from now, Jordan, would you even in your wildest dreams be like, man, like I helped a gold glove catcher. I got to take a picture with the gold glove. Like, did you have an opportunity to like kind of sit back and be like, holy fuck, dude? Yeah, it, it's really cool. You know, to actually see the trophy there um, was kind of surreal. You know, because it had been something that 
him and I had openly talked about from like sort of the end of 2019 um, when we had initially made some really significant adjustments to how he caught and his setups and his just everything really how he received the ball. Um, you know, going into 2020, we openly talked about, Hey, we're going to win a gold glove this year. You know, you're, you're going to do this. You can do it. And he was a finalist, didn't win. And, and looking back and I even told him, I said, you know, it would have been cool, but it was a short, weird year. Like we want to win it in a full normal mm -hmm. season. So coming into 2021, it's like, we're getting after it. You're going to win the gold glove this year. And I said, you know, I would always make him cleats, design his shoes and get his gear. He'd help me, like, allow me to have a hand in that. And I said, okay, like, I'll do this. But then when you win the gold glove this year, next year, I'm making all this stuff. It's going to have gold all over it, just so you know. Oh, that's you know? so baller shit. And I think and he gets that his glove, train. right? He gets oh, glove yeah, he gets got it? it on his glove. But I, I would make his, like, his turfs and his cleats and his gear. And I said, okay, but next year, this is all going to have gold on it, just so you know, because you're, you're winning the gold glove this year. That's you know? so electric. And, and then we went into the year, and, and he, he did it, you know, and so it was really cool. Um, yeah, the, trophy, the trophy's really big, too. Like, it was kind of – it was sick. Like, it's yeah. a show trophy, for sure. Yeah, and that's a guy yeah. that actually deserves a gold glove on, like, uh, Derek Jeter, but that's, that's, a, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> that's uh, my Yankee bias another day. And I, so this is the last thing I want to talk about because I'm fascinated with it. I saw the pictures that you guys do of, like, the Miami trip, everyone wearing, Miami, like, stuff like they're going to Miami. What do you guys – and maybe Tyler can answer this. Like, what do you guys – like, what's the rookie initiation for you guys? Like, are they paying for meals? Like, are, like what are, are they, like, your beer guys when you go on the plane? Like, what is the stuff that you guys do to rookies to initiate them this year? Because you have a fuck ton of them, so. Yeah, I know, yeah. So there's, there's a handful of things. Mostly it's carrying the beers on the flight. You usually have a plastic bag or two full of beers for the guys. Um, you got you to gotta go up on in front of the bus um, for the bus trip to when we're on the road <laughs> the bus trip to the hotel. Uh, you got to answer a few really challenging questions. Uh, you got to either sing a song or do some sort of performance um, in, the, in the time allotted for that trip. And yeah, so we've had so many rookies. So guys have been going to the front of the bus every single trip. You don't see that that often. Um, you got to carry the big speaker around because during the, uh, the flight, guys want music. And there's a big speaker, yeah, big JBL speaker. So you got to carry that. So that's been handed off to guys who have the least amount of service time. Got to make sure it's charged or you're going to get heckled. Uh, if you don't perform well in front of the bus, you got to go to the crapper. You got to, you get sent back to the bathroom <laughs> for the rest of the bus trip. So there's, there's a lot of implications, but uh, I think that's the, the midst of the, I love it. I love the club. I love the club host vibes. Jordan, do you, do you ever get to take part in that type of stuff? Obviously, because you're close with these guys. I mean, you're, you, you could argue that you're the coach that's the closest with them. Cause you're the one that's interacting with them and taking yeah. part of like their pregame routines and them and stuff like that. Does Jordan, Jordan, you, do you have a rookie or they don't give you one? No. Well, we, on the staff bus, when we have a pretty fun, you know, loose uh, staff as well. So there's, there's some of that uh, as well on the staff bus. Um, we got the beer carrier guys and we've got uh, a couple guys that are designated speaker uh, carriers for our bus as well, um, <laughs> which is pretty good. And yeah, if, if it's not on the bus or if it's not charged, you will be ruthlessly uh, told, uh, you know, why isn't this taken care of? Um, but yeah, the player's bus is their own vibe. You know, it's, it's a, it's a special thing to be able to go over there and to be able to do that. Certainly. 
And, uh, you know, we've got some, some guys on our staff who played in the big league, certainly. So they know what that's about too. Um, and we have, you know, similar, similar vibes over there too. And how was the post game beers like Tyler after that uh, Dodgers series went? that must've just been the boys must've, it must've been a club disco in the fucking helicopter in the plane after that series. That was electric shit. There's no, there's nothing better for me at least too than to go into Dodger stadium, to sweep them. <laughs> they were, and that was the big thing was their announcer. Uh, was it Eric Karros? Yeah. Karos, yeah. You know, after the first, during the first game, it was like later in the game, he's like bad teams find ways to lose games. And, um, we ended up winning. They, they, you know, Freeman kind of botched the ball and, and we ended up winning that first game. And so like, that was our big chip on our shoulder. That series was, you know, this guy thinks we're a bad team and we're going to find a way to lose games. And, uh, we ended up sweeping them. And so, um, we were, yeah, happy flight. Obviously we were, we were pumped and going back to the East coast, but, uh, blast it was a blast god I, I love that shit i really do love that shit what did uh because obviously my guy kanan smith and jigba was there for a short period of time i believe he's injured did he get in any rookie initiation or was the, the time too short there because he got injured like his second game he played or whatever he uh i wouldn't say initiation but you know those those young guys it's great to celebrate their first hits or or rbis with the beer shower and you know you hear about beer showers and you think it's it's all beer but i mean there's there's ketchup, there's ranch, there's, there's hot sauce, there's, there's baby powder thrown. So, uh, we did that for him when he was in, uh, St. Louis, St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, that's cool. We, we did a lot of those in LA too. I think we even got Sheltie. It's the first time I've ever seen a manager get a beer shower and did that <laughs> for him for his, uh, maybe his hundredth win, I think in LA. So yeah, that those are the memorable moments for sure. Dude, Jordan. I mean, uh, Kanan's such a good dude, man. His brother, by the way, is going to be a first rounder, potential top five pick in the draft for Ohio State. So I've been, I've been boys with Kanan for a really long time. I love that dude. Yeah. But uh, it's talking about football. Here's how I want to end it. Jordan, you're, we, we had you last year on. You predicted, I'm pretty sure, close to 500 for the Steelers, which is what happened. What's the deal this year? I mean, you got a quarterback that can actually run now, Mitch Trubisky, who I think is going to be the starter. Where do you lie with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Where do you think they're going to be? That defense is still there. I believe their preseason win total to bet on is eight and a half wins, which I think the over might be the play in that. I don't know. Maybe you can kind of talk me into that, but where do you stand with the Pittsburgh Steelers this year? Yeah. You know, I, I think the, I think the AFC North will be a very challenging um, division as it typically is. Cincinnati is going to be for real. You know, Burroughs the real deal. Um, Cleveland. I don't, I mean, they'll find a way to mess things up like they always do. And, you know, I think Baltimore's kind of hit or miss. I think Lamar Jackson's one of the most overrated players in the league. And I think they always, the Steelers always play him very well. Um, you know, and so I, the Steelers, look, people that think the Steelers are going to take a dump and, and be terrible, like you're just, you're begging because there's history that shows they're never bad. Right? Ever. So ever, ever, like bad for them is 500. Yeah, Tomlin's never had a losing year. So what's to say they're going to be under 500 this year? Like, they're skilled players. They've upgraded at quarterback. Ben's been done. As much as I love him and he's the Hall of Fame player, he's been done for a couple of years. I think whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, they're going to be in a really good spot. They have a plethora of really talented skill players. Najee Harris is an absolute monster. Like, the defense is going to be good. I, you know, I, I think they're going to be a good team. I, I think nine to 10 wins, you know, being that wild card place, I think 
the division is going to be tough because Cincinnati's really good. Burrow's really good. But again, you're an injury away here or there from things totally changing. So who knows? They're going to be relevant, though. They're going to be in the mix the whole year. It's going to be a fun year. I think that win total eight and a half is like just disrespectful. Like they're like, yeah. And they were good last year. Like they were decent last year, made the playoffs with a quarterback who couldn't run, wasn't wasn't mobile, couldn't really throw the ball as much as uh, as much yeah. as Trubisky can. And Trubisky was was under Josh Allen, learned from Josh Allen. I think I think they're gonna be good, dude. I seriously do. Like I we'll see what happens, yeah. but I think they're gonna be pretty decent. Like they upgraded a quarterback, like you mentioned, pretty much keeping the same personnel on defense and offense beside Juju, who's a fraud, anyways. So yeah, I think I, I think it's gonna be I think they're gonna be good. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a decent season for sure. But I think they need they need Chase Claypool to take a big step forward. Yeah. He talks he talks a big game. We need more action out of him. Yeah. I think Juju being gone will help him, to be honest. Um, he needs to step up and play like a potential number one option receiver because he has that ability. He's a freak. He just needs to get out of his own way, I think. Yeah. And, make some plays and Canadians. So anyways, folks, and, I mean, what, what an episode this was just, I love the two for ones, obviously, especially with Jordan. Cause he's electric. Thank you guys for hopping on this man. Tyler, welcome to the, cl- welcome to the gang, man. If you know anything like I do with Bednar, when you're carving, we're all, we're all pumping your tires. And when there's a little bit of struggle and people are coming at you on, on the internet, we come right back at them. So just know we have your back <laughs> with that on this podcast. You're our guy now. I'll uh, I'll see you guys in a month because I'll be down there uh, for the Brave series. Hopefully, I I, I think nice. I have to work off that week and stuff like that. But uh, this was electric, man. Thank you both for hopping on this, and uh, we'll get you guys on back next year. And uh, let's ride, like let, let's have let's have a good second half here, fellas. Let's go. Yep. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate you having Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Fish on a Fish Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.